And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond. Peter serves as a missionary at Frontline Fellowship and has pioneered missionary outreaches, including into the war zones of Mozambique, Angola, and Sudan. He's traveled thousands of kilometers delivering Bibles to persecuted Christians in Africa and Eastern Europe. Uh, He's gone through being ambushed and coming under aerial and arterial bombardments and been stabbed, shot at, beaten by mobs, arrested, and imprisoned. And it's an honor today, Peter, to have you on the line with us. Thank you so much, Dan. Uh, Peter, I, I guess I must be on your mailing list, because the other day I received a mailing from your group, and um, it caught my attention. I love the title of it, and it was just simply, The Greatness of the Great Commission. And I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners today, from your perspective as a, as a missionary out there in the field, and knowing the scriptures, and what uh, God has to say about the Great Commission. Well, Dan, it's been a privilege for me to be involved in missions for almost my whole Christian life. Since I was converted age 17 in 1977, uh, I was called to missions right at the beginning. And at the beginning, when I was first converted, I was already starting to witness and evangelize. And I must have read the Great Commission many scores of times before I realized that it wasn't telling me just to witness and share the gospel. And it took me years before the full implication of the Great Commission dawned on me, and I'm sure there's still more richness in the scripture to do so. But the Great Commission is great. It contains a great truth. Jesus is Lord over all areas of life. Because he says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. So the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of life must be proclaimed and practiced. And it contains a great commission. We're to make disciples of all nations, not just making converts or decisions. I mean, it starts somewhere, but we are called to make disciples, not only of individuals. Of course, you start with individuals. You you must disciple families too, which is vital. They're the basic building block of society. But notice we commanded to make disciples of nations, all nations. That's got to include more than congregations and communities. And we to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Complete submission to Almighty God is essential. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So there's also a great command. We to teach obedience to all things that the Lord has commanded. Education is an essential part of the Great Commission. And we're not just to teach faith or a few of our favorite things. We've been instructed by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to teach obedience to everything that he has commanded. So there we have it, a great truth, a great commission, a great command, and a great promise, as the Lord promises to be with us for all time. And there we see the greatness of the great commission. And this has to inspire us. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is to fulfill the great commission, to make disciples of all nations, whether we call to go across the street or across the world, The mandate is the same, making disciples, teaching obedience. Peter, what I like about what you're saying and and knowing just a little bit about you is that um, 
these are not just theoretical considerations to you. You actually, by the Lord's strength, go out in the mission field and do good works. Can you share with us a little bit of what you have experienced on the mission field? Well, yes. In fact, uh, my very first mission field was the army. I was called uh, up uh, to do my military service, two years full-time military service, uh, back in 1979. And as a new Christian disciple, uh, I went to the army, determined to make that my mission field. And on the first Sunday, I stood up and I said to the whole um, company of, at that stage, it was more than 500 of us. We'd be whittled down to 120 soon through selection. But uh, at that first Sunday, I turned and I said, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart, and I want to honor him in my next two years here. If there, any of you feel the same, please see me afterwards. Let's start a Bible study and a prayer fellowship. And that really was the beginning of Frontline Fellowship. We started a every night Bible study and prayer meeting, and that's amidst the rigors and intensity of military training. And every night for the next two years, we gathered together, even if it was only for a short time, but sometimes we had all-night prayer meetings, and we studied the Word of God. We went through the whole Word of God. We we prayed through Operation World. We interceded for nations. And, and the vision grew to win our enemies to Christ. And we didn't just win fellow soldiers to Christ. We were winning communists to Christ. We were bringing uh, the terrorists that we were fighting when they were captured to the Lord. And at the end of my military service, the Lord guided me to start a mission to go across the borders into communist Mozambique and communist Angola countries we were at war with, the terrorists who were planting bombs in our streets and car bombs and uh, doing all kinds of hideous atrocities in our land, uh, they were coming from these very countries. And so we were counterattacking. They were coming to us with hatred and with bombs, and we were going there into these communist countries with the love of Christ and with the word of God. And I smuggled in so many hundreds of thousands of Bibles and books and gospel booklets over the years, showed the Jesus film uh, in Many languages, I must have shown in over 35 languages, members of our mission, probably 100 languages. We've shown the Jesus form and other Christian forms over the years, 16 millimeter projector at first and uh, cranking up the generator and uh, showing against a screen or a wall uh, of a building. And even in terrorist camps and had the chance of baptizing Marxists and Muslims and bringing them to Christ. So uh, I've ministered now in 35 countries and uh, in the last years, I've calculated over 18,000 services and sermons that I've taken. And our mission now is working as far field as Sudan and Nigeria, the Congo, all over Africa. And uh, by God's grace, we've established over a 100 primary schools, several Bible colleges, uh, several clinics and the hospital. And uh, we've been involved in running training courses. We've trained the first chaplains and medics of the South Sudan army. Uh, we trained uh, chaplains for the rebels fighting the communists in Mozambique and Angola. So our, our mission goes far and wide running Great Commission courses and Reformation Revival seminars, discipleship training seminars, biblical worldview seminars, because when you're trying to teach obedience to all things the Lord has commanded, that's that's a big mandate. And right now we're working on uh, preaching through every book in the Bible and producing a, a succinct summary on the core messages in every single book in the Bible because there's so many pastors who are seeking guidance on how to be more effective in teaching through the whole 66 books of the Bible. 
I'm thinking about uh, a country, perhaps, that um, is in need of revival, such as America and Reformation. It seems like this sort of teaching is is so very much needed that um, as you have an opportunity by God's Spirit working in the hearts of people to teach those people, um, there must be a certain hunger. It's almost like I would think scales fall off the eyes and they say, wow, I didn't realize God uh, talked about this in his word. Do you ever find that? Oh, yes, all the time. No, it's, it's extraordinary, and it's, it's exciting. It's an adventure, and where God guides, God provides. And I, I would never have imagined when I began this adventure of discipleship 38 years ago, I'd never have imagined the opportunities I would have to, to actually see communists and Muslims, actually terrorists, witch doctors, Satanists come to Christ. But we've seen it, and I've, I've had the privilege of ministering in some of the most extraordinary situations, even under fire, where we've been ministering and rocket fire, artillery fire, sometimes even aerial bombardment has erupted around us. And to be able to minister in those situations and see these fruits of God's grace of transformed congregations and people who've come out of utter deception, people from false religions or from this ideology of hate communism, and uh, to see trophies of grace, because some of the most dedicated pastors and evangelists that we are privileged to support and serve in Africa are people who used to be Muslims or Marxists. And it's just extraordinary to see the Lord doing what he did to Saul of Tarsus and making an apostle out of one who was once a enemy of, of the gospel. I'm just thinking about our calendar here, Peter, uh, here in the States, that uh, Monday is Memorial Day, and um, we uh, remember those who who battled, went to battle, and fought for our country, and yet uh, you're from another country, and uh, you are talking about a type of warfare that is um, largely in the spiritual realm, and uh, there are forces in that realm that are so very powerful and so very real. Um, have you felt scared, let me put it that way, as you encounter these forces? I have, Dan. I've sometimes been absolutely been terrified. And there are times that one feels paralyzed with fear. And that's where courage must come in, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And mm-hmm. regularly we've got to remind ourselves that greater is he who is in us than him who is in the world. And there's all these commands in the Bible, be courageous, be very courageous. And so there's so many commands not to be dismayed, not to be afraid, but to be courageous. And so uh, we need to uh, really gear up ourselves, uh, put on the whole armor of God and go out into the fight with the courage that comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and so, yes, that's why we need to pray and that's why we need the prayers of the saints. And there have been many times I have been uh, just... Uh, <laughs> Uh, overwhelmed with the sense of fear and intimidation by the horrors of what the enemies are putting towards us. I was in Rwanda uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Rwandan Holocaust, walking amongst corpses and churches where there were 2,000 people in a single mass uh, place of of, of killing in, in a, a, ch- a church building inside the church walls. I mean, can you imagine walking knee-deep and waist-time its corpses and I've been uh, under the bombardment where you can't even think straight. The 
uh, we had eight 2,200-pound bombs dropped around us in an area the size of a football field uh, at one of our church services, and you got these pillars of fire and smoke erupting around. And yet, you know, incredibly, in some of the worst situations like that, and I, I think one of the very worst was being captured by communists, and I've been in prison a couple of times with uh, communist forces where they where they torture us, and, and I would say that while I'd come to grips with the fact of, well, you know, you, you could be killed or crippled, and I could live with that idea, but the idea of being captured and in the power of communist forces, ignorance is bliss, and I'm afraid I just knew too much about the atrocities of the Marxists, and uh, to be captured was, for me, probably my greatest fear. And so in 1987, when I first encountered uh, uh, experience being a prisoner of the communists, and I was just 27 years at the time, and then later, 29, I'd just been married six months, and I got captured again and imprisoned in communist Mozambique. Well, those are two terrifying experiences in my life. And yet the Spirit of God turned these, what should have been trials, into triumphant times of, of God's presence and victory. And to this day, we are friends that we made while we were in those prison camps. Uh, we have wonderful memories of God's grace coming into the stinking hellholes of these places of torture and torment. And uh, it's hard to explain if one hasn't been there, but uh, I remember Richard Vaughan writing about in Tortured for Christ, what they went through in the prison cells. And the moment I was in some of those cells, I remember thinking immediately of what Richard Vaughan had written and thinking, you know, an ounce of experience is worth a ton of theory. And here we were experiencing just a little bit of what many Christians have suffered in communist countries and under persecution around the world. And God's grace was sufficient. And we came through it with, with joy and rejoicing. And we'd won some of our enemies to Christ. And to this day, I've got precious friends who we met only because we ended up in the same prison cells uh, in Marxist hellholes and uh, some phenomenal things happened as a result. Uh, even Zambia, for example, where I was imprisoned when it was a socialist country back in 1987, I've many times been back to that country, which since overthrew the communist dictatorship of Kenneth Gohinder, and I've been invited back regularly as a guest of the government and been VIP uh, in a place where I'd previously been marched in chains, uh, barefoot and beaten and waterboarded. Uh, to now being received by the President and the Minister of Home Affairs, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Minister of Education, Minister of Information, uh, preaching in the uh, military bases, on the radio and TV, in the schools, training teachers. A phenomenal opportunity to see a country that had once been an enemy of Christ sending out terrorists, now is a place of missions, and they're sending missionaries to the neighboring countries with Bibles, not uh, broadcasting the gospel and not broadcasting hates as they used to when they were Marxist countries. So we've seen a whole country transformed. And South Sudan is now a free and independent country where once I was bombed and strafed and rocketed and under artillery barrages and ambushes in the days when it was a Muslim-controlled uh, country, today South Sudan's an independent and free country where the gospel is honored and uh, just an extraordinary transformation. So we've seen countries transformed and that, I believe, is what the Great Commission is calling us to do, transform nations for Christ. 
Today I'm talking with Dr. Peter Hammond. He serves as missionary with Frontline Fellowship, has been in some very uh, dire circumstances out in the real world. Uh, Peter, I I detect an accent in your voice. I'm wondering, uh, where are you from? I am South African. I was born in Cape Town, South Africa in 1960, and I was raised in Rhodesia. And uh, some who've come from those areas would recognize that my accent is actually more Rhodesian than South African. My father was a British soldier. He served in the Second World War in the Eighth Army under Field Marshal Montgomery. Uh, all six years of the war as an artilleryman, the Royal Artillery. And after the war, he chose to be demobilized to southern Rhodesia. And uh, that's where I was raised. And um, so I've always lived in Africa, and uh, Africa's my uh, home, even though my father's heritage is English. Today we're talking about the greatness of the Great Commission. You've already mentioned so many things. If possible, I'm wondering if you can comment a little bit more about Islam. That seems to be a terribly huge threat, perhaps greater than some of the other threats that we've experienced before, communism and and uh, the Allied versus the Axis. And I'm actually uh, reading a little bit uh, from one of the forewords to a book that you've published, uh, Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam, The Historical Roots and Contemporary Threat. And I'd like to tie that into our theme today, the greatness of the Great Commission, and what has the Lord been doing that you have observed among the Muslim community? It's a tremendous challenge to us because the Islamic world, more than 1.2 billion people, is the largest block of unreached people in the world. Islam is the largest persecutor of the church, the most intense and vicious persecutor of the church. Muslim countries make up the most um, determined enemies of the gospel. And in Islamic countries, there are restrictions and often violent persecutions against the church. So Islam, which straddles the ancient biblical heartland of the Middle East where the gospel began, so many of the Places that we refer to in the Bible are now under the control of Muslims. The Antioch where Saul was riding towards on the road to Damascus and where Paul was sent out from uh, Antioch, the first missionary to Europe, uh, those are now firmly in Syria. The seven churches in the book of Revelation are in Turkey. What once was a Christian civilization for a thousand years of the Byzantine Empire is today Turkey, the largest unreached people group in the world, the Turks. Uh, Constantinople, which once was the greatest Christian city in the world, is today Istanbul, and and a place where Christianity has very little foothold. So there's a tremendous challenge in where the church has done the least amount of work in the Middle East. We now have the greatest opposition and the greatest threat, terrorist-wise, to the world, a clear and present danger to the church, and a great challenge to us. And so I've specialized in Islam, And uh, when I wrote the book Slavery, Terrorism, Islam 10 years ago, the first edition was 10 years ago, I got a death threat fatwa, a death threat from Muslim jihadists as a result of writing that history book. Well, since I've produced a second and a third edition, which is now three times the size of that first one, because I thought if they appreciated it that much, we could do a better job and improve on this. And that's been one of our most important and and, and popular books uh, in many ways, because this such a lot of confusion on Islam, and there's a lot of disinformation about it, and I think we need to cut straight through it, look at Islam in the light of the scripture, and how we can counter and resist 
and defeat Islam and see Muslims want to Christ. So the book doesn't just deal with the history and the contemporary threat, but it deals with how to win Muslims to Christ with battle-tested, field-tested plans, the kind of evangelistic techniques and questions that I've asked Muslims in debates in the field that have worked. And I've debated Muslims in their mosques. I've debated them on their radio stations. I've debated them in public places and Islamic propagation centers. And I've gone door to door and ministered with Muslims one-on-one in their homes and on the streets. And we've seen Muslims want to Christ. I know that Muslims can be one to Christ. Today, there are not just tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands. There are millions of people who are Christians in Nigeria who used to be Muslims. In Sudan, there are millions of Christians from a Muslim background who have come to Christ in Indonesia as well. And so there are countries in the world where we are seeing Muslims want to Christ. And I don't think many people notice that because generally we're just hearing bad news from overseas. But there's a lot of God news of what God is doing in spite of the wickedness of man. Where sin increased, God's grace increased much more. And I know that people in Britain and America and Europe are being radicalized and turning to Islam and even joining ISIS and other radical Islamic terrorist groups. But there are Muslims who are being won to Christ in places like Sudan and Egypt and in Nigeria. Now, what's the difference? And I think the difference is that in these persecuted areas, you're seeing Muslims attracted by the courage and the tenacity of the Christians and being so impressed and drawn to this vibrant, tenacious Christianity with so much integrity in it. And that should give us a good example. But on the other hand, in America and a lot of Europe, we're seeing many people turning to Islam because they're repelled by the compromising, weak Christianity they see. And so that's why we think it's so important for us to have revival and reformation in our churches, because in many cases in the Western countries, we're seeing a decline. We can see the decline morally, spiritually in many ways, because I think many of our churches are playing the fool, not taking the Bible seriously, and not getting seriously involved in evangelism. So there's an enormous amount that we can learn from this conflict of the ages with Islam. Uh, Today I've been talking on the Skype line with Dr. Peter Hammond. He's missionary at Frontline Fellowship. Uh, Peter, really quickly, if someone wants to read more about what you're involved with and maybe support you, um, how would they do that using an Internet address? Yes, uh, Frontline Fellowship is on the Internet. We've got uh, frontline.org.za, ZA for South Africa, South Africa. So frontline.org.za is our website. We're on Facebook also, Frontline Fellowship, and they can email me at mission at frontline.org.za or ZA. Well, that's perfect. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Peter Hammond, and uh, we appreciate you joining us today here on A Plain Answer. Dear listener, please join us next week at the same time, and may our Lord richly bless you today. Which mark
vice versa again.